Hey y'all, my name is Sam. And I'm Steven. And this is Crimeology. This is episode two, Gone in the Wind. This title was also Steven's idea. Steven is the title guy. Um, and when we'll talk about the case, you'll figure out or details of why he picked that title for this episode. So we, after episode one aired, you guys gave us some critiques, some ideas for future episodes. And we've heard you. We've heard that you can hear our breathing. We get it. Sorry. <laughs> it will be fixed in later episodes. We've got mics coming in that will help. So we've heard it. We've heard our breathing. We know it's irritating and we'll fix it. But we really appreciate you guys listening to episode one and showing support. It really means a lot. Us working so hard on this podcast and just having it be such a big idea for us for years. It's it's so fun to watch numbers grow and how many people have watched it. And this is just a fun experience. And every week it's fun to search for crimes <laughs> in a twisted way. Um, so this experience in general has just been a blast. So we're just going to jump right into this week's episode and we're going to get started. This week is about Joan Gay Croft. She was four years old when she was taken from Woodward, Oklahoma, not far from us. She was taken from a hospital by two men who were said to be in khaki military type clothing. Um, and the men who took her said they were going to take her to an Oklahoma City hospital, but she was never seen or heard from again. Croft is said to have strawberry blonde hair, a fair complexion, and a chunky build um, with some light blue eyes. She's also said to have some chickenpox scars on her forearms, three, three faint scars on her forehead, and she sustained an injury to her right calf right before she went missing that wasn't necessarily healed by the time she was missing. So I kind of did a little uh, deep dive on this actually like a month or so ago before we really started digging into this one. And it was one I just I'd stumbled upon it. And it was just this. It almost is something out of a movie. Right. <laughs> just two guys show up in military clothing and just adios. Right. I mean, you can do anything in military clothing. You could get by with anything. The last time Croft was seen was on April 10th, 1947, a day after this massive tornado comes through the town of Woodward. It ends up killing about 185 people, but injuring thousands in the town. Now, I've got to mention these small details to Stephen specifically because Stephen's a weather guy. Stephen loves to storm chase. So I don't really know what these details mean, but I'm also not from Oklahoma. But you guys might know what these details mean. This was an F5 rated tornado. I don't know what that means. It's but a very, very large. Tornado. I guess it was big. It only, after reading details, it only took five minutes to destroy the town. And it said that winds reached 200 to 20 to 440 miles an hour. So this thing was a monster. This thing was huge. Croft was at home with her mother, 26-year-old Cleta May Croft. Um, and her sister was also there, Gary. Cleta worked at a telephone operator but during this time, there was a big strike going on at her work. And so because of this strike with the telephone operators, the backlash the town got was that their phones were disconnected all over town. 
Yeah, yeah, that would suck. Yeah. So the backlash to that backlash is that none of the city officials were able to give the town any advance warning about the tornado before it hit. So sometime after the tornado happened, a neighbor went digging through the debris where the house was, and he did find Croft and her sister Gary, but sadly, Cleta was crushed by a fallen wall and was killed instantly. Gary and their father, father Olin, both only sustained minor injuries. Um, and so as you can imagine, after a big tornado like this, the hospitals were just overflowing. People who were with non-threatening life injuries were treated on the hospital lawn or in the hospital basement. Um, and that's where the Croft girls were kept was in the basement. Olin, on the other hand, was placed at a bigger hotel that was turned into a hospital-like situation. So it's kind of weird to me that just even reading this little bit of it, that the dad was separate from the girls already. Yeah, if they're both not life-threatening situations in the first place, why wouldn't you just put them together? Yeah. But And also with those girls being so young, too, like you think you would keep them with a right. family member of sorts. Yeah. So at first I thought maybe it was because he wasn't at the house at the time of the tornado. Right. So maybe that's what happened. And so maybe he was transported sometime later, but I never could find anything in articles. Croft's aunt Ruth received word that both her Olin, her brother Olin and his wife passed away. So she came looking for the girls to adopt them and take them back with her. Somehow during in the middle of all of this, Olin's name was placed on a list of the dead, even though he wasn't. Now there was another guy in the town who also name was Olin and he did pass away from this tornado. So they think that's where the confusion was that Olin Croft's name was put on the list of the dead, even though it was the other Olin. So when Ruth got to the hospital and realized that her brother is not dead, she then goes to different hospitals to basically volunteer and try to find a place that she could help during all of this in whatever way she could. When Ruth came back to the hospital basement the next morning, that's when she found out that Joan Croft was missing. Jerry told Ruth that two men dressed in khaki uniforms appeared in the middle of the night asking for Joan by name. Jerry said that Joan was crying out saying that she didn't want to go with these men and that she didn't want to leave her sister. And she was crying out so loud to the point that the hospital staff stopped to question these men to ask what was going on. And these men told the hospital workers that they were just moving Croft from that base from that hospital in Woodward to go to Oklahoma City Hospital because that's where more family members were. So isn't that weird to you that they would take one but not the other? One and not the other, right. And then, I mean, your dad's, I don't know where the ho hotel is, but right up the street. And so I don't, there's a lot of things like this that I don't understand. Why would you take one kid and not the other? Yeah. But the dad being... Just However, down the road far or away. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's super weird to me that it would just be, oh yeah, we want this one and... Not the other one. Not the other one. You but keep her. later on we'll talk about some theories and maybe there's something that makes sense with those. The nurses said they overheard the men offering words of comfort to Croft, saying things not like not to worry and that they were coming back for her sister soon. 
So the nurses assumed nothing was wrong and stopped questioning these men and just let them go. Ruth called, she ended up calling every hospital in Oklahoma City and she didn't get any word that any of these hospitals were expecting Croft or that they he'd even asked for her to come there or that they had family members there looking for her. So Ruth then ended up calling orphanages and morgues even to try to look, but she didn't end up getting any information. Yeah, that's just wild to me that it's just like that they got some pushback when those soldiers, quote unquote, came. Mm -hmm. But like, like, they're not policed there. It's not like, wouldn't you have like a manifesto even sort of thing of like this is a huge tornado you've got everybody practically at the hospital so the fact that they were just so easy and basically going in picking this girl up and going out and leaving without a trace is just amazing yeah that's nuts while all of this is going on at the hospital the town of woodward starts the cleanup process after the tornado and In the debris, they end up finding three female children. One was a baby about eight months old. Um, Another was about 10 to 12 years old. And the last child was between the ages of three and five. So no one ever came forward to identify these children. And to this day, they still are marked as unidentified. Um, Police thought the third little girl might have been Croft. She did fit the description that was given but family members insisted that it was not her. I want to say that in articles that I read, I couldn't find a family member that went and saw the body personally. So that's a different side to the story that I think they just said, oh, we know for sure it's not Joan. But nobody ever went and identified personally if it was the daughter. But that was just something that wasn't in an article that like, the father went to go see. So that I could be completely wrong on that, but there was nothing in an article that I read that said this family member went to identify or not. They just always said, no, it's not her. Well, that's weird to me that they would, why would they go back and they know that she was at the hospital. Why would they then go find her in debris? I mean, I guess, right. Right. I guess, you know, those men maybe. And then that's when, that's one of the, so I'm, getting ahead of myself. That's one of the theories. So we'll talk about it later, but that's a theory we'll talk about later. So keep that idea in mind. (laughs) So police took some of these pictures of these unidentified girls and they took it to teachers and neighbors around town, but everyone agreed that none of these girls were Joan Gray. Highway patrol got involved and started searching for Croft outside of Woodward And when Olin had made a full recovery, he joined in the search too. So they were passing pictures around and hanging pictures wherever they could, hoping that somebody would recognize Joan. And they did get some tips and people calling in and they did go and look at these and follow through with them. But I feel like that's always what happens with these cases Mm -hmm. is the leads led to dead ends and nothing really ever happened with those leads. So now let's talk about some theories that were going around during this time. Georgia Tan was a lady during this time who would sell babies and children to wealthy people. So most of the time she would get her children from hospitals or orphanages, or she sometimes bought these babies from poor people. 
Um, this was an this is an odd theory for the Croft family because the Crofts they weren't rich. Now they're not poor, but they're definitely not rich. Um, so it's not like she could have bought Croft from Olin for some money. Like it wasn't that Olin needed the money for whatever reason. And also, why would you make this deal? After the tornadoes, like that's that's a very odd timing piece of right. why. Right. Tan also works out of she t- basically works out of Tennessee, so that's not saying that she couldn't quote broaden her horizons and move on to Oklahoma and try to look for children there. But again, going back to what you said, the idea that she heard about this tornado overnight heard about this tornado and thought oh, this is going to be the perfect opportunity to take some children and sent somebody or got in contact with somebody in Oklahoma and said, get me a child. It just doesn't seem like that would have happened in the hours from when the tornado happened to then when Joan is captured. And also the fact that Joan Croft is asked for by name so that's a whole nother thing, yeah, that's, I don't think. That's a very oddly specific. But also going back to if she's out of Tennessee, that's a heck of a drive, right. even, even in this day and age. And even if she had connections here in Oklahoma and it was a phone call that she made to somebody in Oklahoma and said, get me a child, maybe at that point they were like, oh, Joan, Joan Crop, do you want that one? But again, it's just weird that they asked for her by name and that this random lady is coming in and taking this child. That, so that theory to me just doesn't make sense. Another theory is about the father. I feel like a lot of these things you kind of stick close to the family mm-hmm. and a lot of family is accused. Olin did remarry on July 2nd, 1947, which was just three months after the tornado took his wife and essentially his child. So the questions were, why did he move on so soon? Three months is a short of my, amount of time. Pretty, yeah, pretty short. Even during this time. Um, but Olin did spend the rest of his life searching for Croft. And so this idea also kind of seems bizarre to me. I also just don't think this is a good theory because it's not like Olin could have predicted this tornado and it's not like he could have taken this tornado as an opportunity to then get a hold of some hitmen to take his child away like if he is at the Baker Hotel even though it's still a hotel it's now made into a hospital so I don't think he could have gotten people to go in and out of there without being seen or without being noticed um, and so the fact that this tornado happens, I just, I don't think this is a good theory because there's too many moving pieces right. to this, to this theory for it to all make sense. Right. Some say that maybe the third un- unidentified child was Croft, but Olin didn't identify her because he didn't have the money to pay for a burial. Now, keep in mind, the tornado destroyed everything, and he was going to have to rebuild, and that's not cheap. And the children who weren't identified, the town paid for the burial of these children. So uh, ideas were floating around that 
maybe he took this into consideration and just never identified Croft. So that way the town would pay for funeral arrangements. And that was kind of something that he didn't have to pay for because we've talked about, I mean, funerals are expensive. I I mean, this is a while ago, so maybe it was different back then, but funerals have always been expensive. So Again, this may, I feel like out of all the theories we have, this might be one of the most ones that I can wrap my mind around. I mean, I don't think that a father would then spend the rest of his life wasting time going around and following tips and things if this really was a good theory. But after all the theories we have, I think this is one of them that is all right, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's it's the one that kind of makes the most sense. But the also weird thing of it's they took, you know, they they showed pictures to family members. They showed pictures to teachers teachers and neighbors, and no one said that it was her. Right. So that's the only part where it starts to spiral unless he just somehow, hey, don't say that this is her. Right. And so another thing is the fact that this in this small town, there's absolutely not a single person who recognizes three children who are now missing. That's three children who belong to three different, essentially three different Mm -hmm. families who know that they have a missing child and nobody comes and finds them. So that's another thing that kind of spirals this theory. Um, So these children are still buried to this day and unmarked graves um, and their bodies are still unidentified. So yeah, that's that's probably the one to me so far that makes the most logical right. sense that kind of lines up. It right. kind of trails down off at the end with the whole, you know, no one recognizes her. Right. And yet they're like you said, they're not they're not poor, but they're not wealthy. They're right. kind of they're in that in middle, middle, yeah, that middle class. So like she would probably be known right. At least by her neighbors. Right. So, yeah. And so going into that, they're right in the middle. Another theory was maybe Croft was taken for ransom, but just like we talked about, the family was well off. They're not poor and they're not in hard times and they're not rich and doing fabulous. They're doing well. So this theory has cracks in it because Olin and Cleeter were, like I said, they were both on the list of the dead and their home was destroyed. So if somebody was to take Joan Croft for ransom, they were taking her for ransom, thinking that both her mom and her dad had passed away. So at that point, who are they trying to keep her from? And the fact that the house is destroyed. Now, of course, you know, banks and things like that, that they could have kept money in. But that's just also a crack in this theory also is because the house is destroyed. So a lot of the valuables are missing. So the fact that you're taking this child for ransom when the whole town is destroyed and you've got to take into consideration that it's going to take them a while to get whatever you're wanting from them for ransom. So that's, that's also a big crack in this one that I can't, get over and then why would you take Joan without taking Gary? That's another big crack. Now 
some say the reason they didn't take Gary was because Gary was a stepdaughter to Olin. So maybe the person who took them thought that he wouldn't pay for a child that technically wasn't his. Um, but to this day, Olin has never admitted to receiving any kind of ransom letter or anything along those lines. So, but I mean, let's not forget that Joan Croft, she has an injury to her shin that if it wasn't treated during this time, it could have led to a big infection that maybe at this time in the world could have led to death. So that's another big crack is she's injured. She's got this big wound on her calf. We didn't talk about this wound. This wound was described as a pencil sized splinter wound to her calf. What happened is some debris of the house went straight through her calf. So essentially she's got a pencil sized hole in her leg. So if that gets infected, I mean, it can do some damage. So that's another big crack is you're taking this child who has a hole in her leg. So not only are you having to take her, you're having to essentially keep her safe or you're having to deal with a dead body. So yeah. these are, there's just a lot of cracks in these theories. Well, and, and really if, I mean, I don't obviously don't know how easy it is to get your, get a hold of military type I mean, but like if these people knew what they were doing, like they're going to be able to at least keep a band, you know, keep a right. wound, you know, keep her at least somewhat healthy at that. I mean, so that's that's maybe a little plug in that right. theory. Yeah. But that's still this one's probably like second on the list of plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Just because, I mean, they are like you were saying, they weren't rich but they weren't poor right but the other it's interesting that i didn't realize that gary was a um at the time of reading this that gary was a stepdaughter so yeah and, but like you still would think that you just take two kids right it's still and it's still just weird yeah so i don't under yeah i don't understand in 1999, a journalist, Robert E. Lee, he wrote several articles about Croft, and he ended up getting a lady who reached out to him saying she thought she was Joan Gay. Um, one thing right off the bat he noticed was that she spelled gay with an E, and the Joan Gay we're talking about doesn't have an E. So that was kind of a red flag that he had from the very beginning. But he did end up replying to this lady and trying to get communication started with her. And she did say that she was willing to communicate with him and meet with him in a public place. She did make it known that she wanted to meet with him in public. And she said that she would explain herself. She said that both of both her mom and her dad's side of the family knew that she was going to Oklahoma City. They knew that she was alive. Um and that they knew all of this, you know, prior to her leaving. So, and she said she was alive and well and has been in Oklahoma City this whole time. He then tried to email back to her to try to set up a meeting time. And that's when things kind of went south. Um, communication just stopped. The emails were now being sent as undeliverable 
she stopped reaching out to him. No other form of communication was happening. So this lady comes out saying she thinks she's Joan Croft. Um, and then emails go undelivered and that's kind of just where that ends. And so he thought he was onto something, but nothing else happens. So for years, police are following leads, but nothing ever comes of them. And it even goes to the point that a few years ago in 2016, Joan Croft's cousin, uh, Marvella Parks, she starts working with the state to see if new technology that we have could help us. So she gives a sample of her DNA and they put it into the state database um, and other uh, computer connections to other state systems, hoping that they'll get some kind of match back. Um, so far, nothing has come, but the family has hope that with technology nowadays that that will be able to lead them back to Joan Gay somehow. Um, if Joan Croft is still alive, she will be turning 78 this year. Um, and if she isn't, I mean, we still hear stories all the time of bodies coming up discovered in random ways. So if she's out there somewhere, I'm sure we'll have a story someday where she comes found and her body is found. So yeah, that's just, it's super weird that it went from this little four-year-old girl gets taken from the hospital. Also something that I was kind of just, you know, kind of going through in my head of what is like after her aunt called all these places, like, did she keep looking or I'm, I'm, I know we didn't, we're not really covering that part of the side. That's that side of the story, but right. that's also kind of weird to me of like, her aunt calls all these places, but then there's nothing really left on her story. Like right. you would think like, I'm assuming she's still searched. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's something that's, that's kind of weird to me in a sense, but you know, I, I mean, that's something, but I mean, yeah, hopefully that's one of those things of with technology today. I mean, hopefully we'll have a follow-up episode to this one where she's found alive in her old age somewhere drinking some Dr. Pepper off to the side, or maybe there'll come a day where we find her body somewhere and her family can get some reassurance. But until then you will have to follow our social medias so you can keep up with um, extra when we're posting episodes, when they're posted to various streaming platforms and if that day ever comes that we find out what happened to Joan Croft you can be notified on there um that we're bringing out a bonus episode so follow us on social medias at crimeology pod and you can always email us at crimeologypod at gmail.com and give us any crime suggestions you have this week's sponsor of crimeology is anchor if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and here's why. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimal listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
Now we're going to do our segment called the Florida Man Minute. If you don't know what this is, there was a trend a couple years ago where you Googled a random date along with the words Florida Man, and you looked at the top article that came up with that date. And so we heard of this, thought it would be a great segment. And so this is Stephen's time to shine. So we're going to talk about the article that Stephen has for this week. Well, that's a lot of pressure, Sam. Um, so this week comes on October 27th from 2016. Sam, I got a question for you. Okay. Do you like breakfast foods? I love breakfast. More specifically, pancakes. Yeah. Okay. So this is out of Palm Beach, Florida. So uh, according to the Palm Beach Post, a 52-year-old man um, from North Palm Beach, he was arrested early Tuesday morning after he had called 911 because his mother would not give him any money for a trip to a local IHOP. How sad how, for this man. How great. So uh, police said this wasn't the first time they had actually showed up to Gerald Anderson's house. And uh, basically, in lack of a better term, this article says um, he was very plastered. Aww. So uh, so after misusing the uh, 911 emergency system, uh, in fact, this was at least the 15th time oh since gosh. September 18th that uh, Anderson had to be reminded that. Uh, um, you Not know, even a month. Right. Yeah. Um, that his mom, that he can't call 911 because of something like this. Wow. Um so they had even warned him of that just prior to one hour to his what we call the pancakes call <laughs> that led him that led them to arriving at his doorstep. Fifteen calls. Fifteen calls. Yeah. So um, it appears that finally the police just had enough, and that's when they booked him into the Palm Beach County Jail. Um, so yeah. So um, a little bit shorter Florida man segment this week. But I think a little bit more wild this week. Yeah, that was a lot better than our first week. <laughs> so, yeah. 15 times. 15 times well, less than a month. My sister needs to be warned that I'm going to start calling the cops when she doesn't give me what I want. So, <laughs> just be warned job. now. <laughs> Sam's going to be in jail soon. <laughs> and that is episode two. So, thank you guys so much for coming back and listening to us again. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen and make sure to leave us a good review. If you have a bad review, keep it to yourself. If you have a review that includes our breathing, we get it. We don't need to hear about it anymore. We're fixing it and you guys won't ever have to listen to us breathe ever again. But thank you guys so much for giving us feedback positive or negative. We love both. Thank you guys and keep listening and we will be back next week. My name is Sam. I'm Steven. And this is Crimeology. Crimeology.